Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. My name is Jamie Preston, and today we have a special episode. We're going to be answering uh, frequently asked questions or, or kind of helping to dispel some myths that providers and, and clinicians may have about billing and all kinds of different things. And we have two guests. We have Casey Cleary, um, and we also have Kim Kenimer with us from SC House Calls. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So, guys, give me your, tell us your titles um, and kind of what you do for SC House Calls. We'll, we'll start with you, Kim. Um, so, um, I guess my role falls under practice optimization. So, um Anything that is is good for the practice or optimizing the production um, of the practice and obviously staying compliant um, while doing those things. So um, practice optimization. Compliance is good. I don't I don't like. Yeah, we got to stay compliant. Yeah, I don't like jail. So compliance is great. (laughs) Um, Casey, tell us what you do. Sure. Uh, My title is the coding specialist. So I work hand in hand with both the coders and the providers, and I'm kind of the liaison between the two. And I help a lot with the provider education on documentation and with the requirements for billing. So again, it it keeps us in out of jail (laughs) by Medicare (laughs) standards and whatnot. So I, that's what I uh, mainly do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to go through a bunch of different questions. We may not get through them all today, um, but we want to dispel some of these myths, some of these frequently asked questions so that people could understand and providers can understand kind of uh, how they should be functioning. So let's jump right in here. We're going to start with advanced care plans. Um, Can a provider do one every time they see a patient? And when I ask a question, you guys just jump in and and I won't direct them to a certain person but you just jump in. So can can a provider do a advanced care plan every time they see a patient? Okay, so um you know, we have talked in the past that um when we give answers that providers hear different things from different people. So I'm going to give you my answer um whereas Casey's answers will probably have um, you know, more rules and guidelines to them um, because she is the coding specialist. Um, but to me, the answer is yes. And it can't just be a yes, do you want to be a DNR every time I see you for 16 minutes? Or, you know, yes, do you want to be a full code every time I see you for 16 minutes? Um, and I think there's got to be rules along with that. You know, is the patient new to our practice? Um, would we want to discuss their advanced care plan? Yes. Are you going to get through their entire advanced care process in 16 minutes? If the answer is no, then the next time you see the patient, you should continue that conversation. Um, if the patient has had a significant illness, you know, Jamie, we've talked on here before that, you know, my mom has had a significant decline since COVID. Um, when my dad came out of the hospital, he was a DNR. Now that my mom is home and getting better, um, you know, he wants to readdress his code status um, while he's now become her primary caregiver. So, sure. you know, now he's looking at being more of a full code than a DNR. Um you know, obviously my mom's significant change in status would um, make her want to have those conversations and those choices. Um, if your family member, if you have a spouse that's recently died, you know, you may not want to be a full code anymore if your spouse has recently passed away. So, you know, did you have a, a change in your living situation where you were living with one child and now you're living with another? So I think to me, the rules are, are more vague they are probably more um, have to do with what is going on with that patient um, at the time we service them. Um, but but again, that, that's my answer looking at the patient as, as a whole and not as an individual treatment date. Sure. Casey. Okay. 
So great examples, Kim. And she, she knows from experience. I love all of her examples. Uh, but from a Janet Danina standpoint, <laughs> of when we should and when we should not, we have to prove that it's medically warranted. So like the examples that Kim just gave, how do we tell when it's medically warranted to perform an ACP on a patient? It, we would have to prove that there is a medical change or a life change in that patient. So just like Kim said, if the patient's spouse passes or uh, they just get out of the hospital, uh, those would be totally appropriate. Would you wanna do it every time, especially when we're pushing the amount of frequent visits that we are? That's really gonna be on the provider's call. Do you think they're gonna change that often? Um, maybe that it's time for a hospice referral <laughs> if they get that far. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, as long as you feel confident and you can prove that that is a medical change or a life change, then we would want to perform an ACP. You always can go back into that patient's chart and look to see when the last advanced care plan was uh, completed. Since now we have our telehealth providers uh, working with our patients as well. So you can always check to see when the last one was, but we would always want to just make sure that medically warranted would be life change or medical change. And if, sure. if you get that, then go for it. Absolutely. And I think, Jamie, when you say medical change, um, in the mind of a provider, I think a lot of people think hospitalization, nursing home discharge, admission to assisted living. Whereas I think when you're looking at the big holistic picture for the patient, a medical change could be um, an exacerbation for a COPD patient. Sure. Um, it doesn't always have to result in a placement change for the patient. We've gone out to the hospital. It could be that their um, limiting diagnosis um, has significantly de declined, um, like I said, or an exacerbation, or you know, the, the death of somebody, somebody else moving in. So I just wanna make sure providers understand that it doesn't always have to mean a patient has to be, the words admitted or discharged don't have to go hand in hand with an advanced care plan. Right. Yeah. And I think there's been some confusion too, um, since the new Medicare updates and everything that we don't do them anymore, but we still obviously do advanced care plans. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think here's my other thing with talking to providers and I don't think, and, and this is obviously a topic that's really important to me, but you know, when I've talked to providers and they would say, well, I think this patient needs home health or I think this patient needs rehab, you know, the, and, and I go and I look in their chart. My thought, Jamie, is how do you know what a patient wants or what a patient needs if you haven't discussed their advanced care plan? Sure. You know, as a provider, you may want that patient to go to rehab or you may want that patient to be referred to home health. But if we really had that conversation, you know, you may really find out that that patient just wants to be comfortable and be at home and maybe look at palliative and hospice. So I think that's where our providers really have to get outside of themselves. And I think it would be hard to determine somebody's plan of care if we don't do that. Every patient deserves that. Absolutely. Honestly, everybody, you know, 18 or older should have one, um, especially if you're a senior, you know, um, absolutely. Let's, let's jump on to the next thing. Let's talk about non-face-to-face -face visits. Um, can a provider do an internal non-face-to-face? -face? We'll start with that question. Yes, they can review internal records. So your internal records are going to be anything that is falling under South Carolina house calls. So any of your lab work, your uh, referrals that you write, any of your sister NP or doctors, uh, all that would stem under South Carolina house calls. Um, so you do have the opportunity to utilize that information. And as long as you can make it to that 31 minute mark and document, big thing, document why you're reviewing internal records and mm -hmm. how you're going to work it into the patient's treatment plan. The big one is how you're going to use that information mm -hmm. to treat our patient. Sure. And as long as you document that appropriately with the time and linking it to uh, a face-to-face -face or telehealth visit, those would meet the requirements in order to do so. I just, uh, I always tell our providers, you know, we're not going to want to do this 
extremely often um, just because it's not used for a chart prep. You're going to be you're going to be uh, looking at all this information from our database and you have to prove why you're looking at it for in order to treat the patient. Sure. Awesome. So an example on on our end would be um, I reviewed, um, you know, 30 pages of records from this particular hospice in correlation with these three diagnoses in order to be able to provide services for the patient on this date. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be a whole lot, but I think what Casey's team is looking for is number one, if you say you've billed for a non-face-to-face and they go in there and all those records show the word available beside them, that means you didn't open the records. And so Casey's team does double check to make sure that happens. Um, Number two is just saying, you know, what records you reviewed, maybe what body system and, you know, what visit you're linking it to. Sure. Now, are they not supposed to do record reviews anymore? No, we definitely want you to review those records. Uh, It's going to, it's going to give you the most information on your patient, which is going to provide the best care for your patient. So we always want you to review your records. Now, if you feel like you can't make that 31 minute requirement for a non-face-to-face, then you wouldn't perform a non-face-to-face. You could just have a discussion of the records when you're with the patient, either Mm -hmm. at the next visit when you're face-to-face, or if you're doing a telehealth, you could do it over the phone. Uh, and just have an open dialogue reviewing uh, any of the records uh, external. So, for example, you get a couple uh, cardiologist pages, and you can review that with your patient. Oh, I see you ran from Dr. Jenkins, your cardiologist. Let's discuss this real quick. How is your medication? So you're going to review that with them and put a blurb of your discussion in your A&P in the encounter and that way you can actually receive credit for reviewing that information and it'll make your complexity for the physic go higher as well but so it just it, it you just have to see if you have the enough information to make it into a non-face-to-face but if you don't still review the records and have that discussion so you can get credit but we can also have uh we're optimizing um all of and utilizing all of our information to give the patients the best care Cool. And I think on the receiving end, Jamie, of being um, a patient of SC house calls, um, you know, my mom's had some increased pulmonary doctor's office visits lately. And I will tell you this as a as a patient, both in the hospital and with the pulmonologist, when a provider comes in and doesn't know what's going on with you, hasn't looked at your chart before they get to you, doesn't realize what your alerts are or why you were in the hospital or what some of the primary concerns were, it makes it really hard for that patient to trust you and your judgment. Mm. Um, I know when my mom was in the hospital and, you know, she was in there over 40 days, she would look at me and say, well, Kim, why don't, why don't they know that before they get in here? Or why didn't they read what the doctor wrote yesterday? Or why are they not following up on the labs that my doctor already ran yesterday? Mm -hmm. So, and she's obviously um, not in healthcare at all. She does, um, she does HR. So I guess I witnessed a lot of that on my family side with their COVID illnesses is um, in those outpatient settings was families expect you to know what is going on with them before you walk in the door and pull up your laptop and you're like, Hey, Mr. Preston, how are you doing today? Um, let's see what's going on with you. Or yeah, I haven't reviewed your record yet because right. that totally loses trust with that person you're about to care for. Sure. Now, can providers do non-face-to-face on the same day or same encounter? It depends what setting you're in. So there's two different types of settings. We have our outpatient setting, which would be your clinics or doctor's offices, uh, your assistant living, your ALFs, and your home or independent living. Your outpatient settings, you have the opportunity to do a non-face-to-face on the same day. 
and that is face-to-face or via telehealth. You can review that information and do a non-face-to-face the same day that you see the patient. And you can actually build that into the same encounter that you're doing the visit on as well. If you're on an inpatient setting, so our hospice houses, our skilled nursing facilities, your SNFs, then we would not want to perform a non-face-to-face on the same day. Sure. It has to be built on a separate day on a separate encounter. Awesome. Let's jump into, go ahead, Kim. No, I was just going to say that's because there's a lot of like um, in different location types and different settings. Um, Casey, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but providers get credit for what they call floor time. So, um, so to add a non-face-to-face in on the same day you are in a skilled nursing environment, you wouldn't want CMS to, um, to, to think we were considering that as, as part of floor time. So that's why we separate those on certain days of service in certain locations um, is because CMS is already giving us credit for advanced times in certain locations. Sure. Great. That is correct, Ms. Kim. <laughs> cool. Let's jump into telehealth now. Um, this is something that's changed since last year. We, you know, we didn't even do telehealth before that, but now we have an extensive telehealth uh, practice um, alongside with the, you know, in-home visits and, and the other things that we do. Um, so let's jump into this. Um, can a provider book a telehealth appointment if they have nothing on their schedule? Kim, you want to handle that one first? It's <laughs> <laughs> a $10,000 question. Um, if a provider has nothing on their schedule and is supposed to be working um, that day, I would, number one, suggest that they reach out to their scheduler. Um, but number two, one of the things we've talked about recently, Jamie, is things like um, abnormal lab, lab values, medication refills, patients calling in for medications if the provider hasn't seen them within 30 days. So each provider has different um, different uh, needs, prov- patient needs that drop in their buckets. Sure. So I would certainly feel like, you know, to start my day off if I didn't have enough or if I had some cancellations, the first place I would start would be in my bucket. Um, mm-hmm. What abnormal labs do I need to follow up and convert those to telehealth? visits. Um, I don't think providers give themselves enough credit, Jamie. Um, You know, something as small as running certain labs um, can give you results that can be life-threatening. You know, D-dimer levels, thickening of bloods, causing blood clots, in return ordering Dopplers, starting medications like blood thinners, just calling families and having those conversations and ordering medications and not really properly documenting that that complexity of medical decision making that that provider just did, mm-hmm. um, to me puts both the practice and the provider at risk. Because in the in the world of CMS, if it's not documented, you didn't do it. So in order to protect the practice and to protect the provider, when you do have abnormal labs. You know, those should be converted to telehealth visit. Discuss with the patient what was abnormal about the lab, what your plan of care is. Is there going to be changed to the medication and why, Um, number one? Because all of those are medical decisions. You Mm -hmm. and I cannot interpret a lab and determine what we need to do about it because we're not physicians um, or nurse practitioners. Number two is um, obviously going to be really watching those med refills. You know, if even if it's a blood pressure medication for 60 days, and I know Casey can piggyback on this, but calling the patient and saying, hey, this is the medication you take, correct? Yes. Um, this is what you take it for, blood pressure, correct? Yes. What is your blood pressure running? Have you been checking your blood pressure? Um, oh, well, that's a good blood pressure or that's or that's low or that's high. Um, because I think just blindly refilling medications, again, is not good for our practice, it leaves the back door very vulnerable, um, as well as as the provider. But I'm sure Casey can go off that some. Yes. So in order to perform in telehealth, we do have to have the patient's consent, and it has to be patient-initiated. So even if we are going to make a 
created telehealth. We need to have to make the patient aware, hey, this is going to be an actual visit. Just because we're not face-to-face, I'm just looking at you on my screen, this is still going to be accounted as a visit. Can we proceed? Are you okay with that? Yes. After they give you that yes, you put in that consent. It's usually in the template. If it's already scheduled, it'll say telemed. But just in case it's not, make sure that it's there, please. So after you have that consent, you can definitely move forward. And just like Kim was saying, as long as you can document that uh, you have provided evaluate and management uh, documentation. Excuse me, that's my sidekick for today. James. <laughs> Listen, I think every podcast should have a baby in the background because it sounds super cute. At least he's happy, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so at, for the medication refills, if you're going to do that, that's totally appropriate. But document what you're doing. So it's not just going to be a phone call. Oh, I see you're out of Lexapro. Let me refill that. No, (laughs) no, no, no. It has to prove that you're making some type of medical decision-making as Kim stated. So in your A&P, you're going to put your diagnoses that you're reviewing. If you're doing a medication refill, what is that linked to? Is it a heart medicine? Then put something with a heart diagnosis. It won't, it won't just be a generic uh, drug refill. Because if you're just filling a script and doing nothing else, that wouldn't count as uh, medically necessary. So we want to actually give them an actual visit and how you would do that and how you prove that is your documentation and your AMP. And it would just be your evaluation and management of that patient and how you're going to plan to treat that patient. And as long as you have that documented, then yes, we will bill for it. It's medically warranted. So just like you're even with your normal labs and you want to discuss that or a patient request, just make sure that we're documenting appropriately, that you feel like it's a sound judgment call to have that conversation uh, and provide that documentation and that medically, uh, discussion and you are good to go. Cool. Um, another question here, and I think this has probably come up for a provider. Can a provider do a telehealth visit on someone who calls them from the hospital? Casey, that's all you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I think there's a exactly. lot of a lot of hmm this is exactly. interesting gonna be associated with this question. Why are they calling you from the hospital? <laughs> <laughs> is the first question. Um if they want to like it's patient initiated, we can, but I I would definitely ask a ton of questions. Are they just calling you to chat? Or are they wanting to have an actual visit with you? And if they already are in the hospital, why don't you get them to finish up their hospital stay and and we can uh, go ahead and get them set up with a telehealth when they get out or you can see them face to face. So that's a very gray area. So, Casey, let me ask you this. If somebody's uh, family member was in the hospital and they had a nurse practitioner on the phone for SC house calls. Um, and that cardiologist or pulmonologist or endocrinologist was in the room. And uh, the patient said, hey, could you talk to my nurse practitioner who's going to be going home with me? We know the hospitalist is going to obviously bill for that service that day. Um, but instead of making that a telehealth visit um, or even an audio only, could we use that information towards the time that they're going to put towards non-face-to-face review or records or something like that? We definitely want to gather that information. So if you had the opportunity, that would be great. That actually counts as uh, consulting with another healthcare professional. And if you save that to your next visit, that actually makes your complexity skyrocket because you're actually speaking with one of the other doctors. And that's what I would do from a billing standpoint. You do have the opportunity to mention that into your non-face-to-face that you're doing. Um, And when you're actually reviewing the records, you can state your discussion with the, the other physician. But I would wait to the next visit and put what you've discussed and it would actually be counted towards that visit. Awesome. And I think that question was from a provider. So now they know there, they will know. (laughs) Okay. Does a provider have to add time to an encounter if coding off of complexity? 
That's fantastic. But the answer is no. <laughs> uh, um, that that's you know those are our two big words. Um, instead of do you like chocolate or vanilla milkshakes, it's like do you want to code off of time or complexity? Um, has been the drive-through question. So um, I think that if you know you're going in there with a complex patient and you're very comfortable um, with documenting on complexity, um, then yeah, you can definitely do your complexity. But I think as far as the billing department goes is if you're not sure about what your complexity is going to be, um, then they always want the time so that they can capture and give you uh, the best outcome. Um, but but if you know what you're doing and you're strictly code and you are strictly coding off of complexity, it does not require time. Awesome. But if you're not totally sure about the complexity, um, you want to probably put that time there for backup so that your billers and coders can give you um, can give you the credit for what works the best. Great. Yes, and if you're actually using your stay in your lane sheet, uh, you can follow to those steps on what place of service you are. So they have one for each one. And then you would actually look to see if you're doing off complexity. Uh, if you do stay with the patient longer than 45 minutes, please add your time. <laughs> sure. Just because if we review your complexity and we give you a code for your base code and see that you have time on there and it runs past that 30 minute, we'll give you a prolonged service. So just in case, add your time if it's a longer visit. Uh, for telehealth, though, video, audio, and audio both require start and stop time. So telehealth are, are the uh, the exception. Put awesome. your time for telehealth. Yep. Great. Um, so one thing about South Carolina House Calls is there are so many resources. There's so many people. Um, but how would somebody, a provider in the field um, that's working how do they know who to contact? So they have direct contact with their MA or their CSC. That's their first go-to person. Mm -hmm. You also have contact with your schedulers. If you need a coding question, contact me. If you have an optimizing uh, question, contact Kim and Brooke. There's always somebody who's going to help, uh, which is awesome. But how you would find like a specialty in that field, like Trent is over hospice. Uh, if you want RPM and Livy, you would go to Brody. Uh, pharmacy, Miranda. And, you know, when you're a provider, especially our new providers, we, and we hire, we're expanding so, so much right now. We're, uh, we're not really sure who's doing what. And especially since we move and we, we tackle so many projects. So there is a directory that will be up shortly on teams that will tell you everybody's specific uh, field. We also have the South Carolina website, which lists the head managers as well. But uh, again, you can also utilize Teams, the South Carolina House Calls PDQ. Everybody has uh, access to that page. If you click the general tab, it'll actually let you ask a question. That goes out company-wide. Nice. So whoever is in, if you ask a hospice question, I bet you Trent will answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So whoever is specialty in that field, that's one one thing you guys can utilize for any of those questions. And since we're talking about specialties, what specialists does South Carolina House Calls have? We have quite a few, and we're adding a lot more on. Um, well, of course, we have our pharmacy, and then we have our pharmacist. We have our psych NPs. Uh, we have our RNs who are actually uh, looking through all the patients' charts and helping with scheduling, recommending when to do an ACP, uh, any of the special referrals. Uh, so I know David Tichy is working hard with our RNs right now. Um, I know we're looking to get a couple, any specialties. So if you guys know of any, <laughs> send them sure. our way. But um, for, let's see, did I miss anybody, Ken? I feel like I'm missing Did somebody. you say social workers? Social workers, yes. We have social workers as well. And they are in the patient's chart all day doing referrals and helping scheduling. So that's really awesome. Nice. And this is Social Worker Month. So we actually did a we're, – we're releasing a podcast, a social worker podcast this week. So 
be on the lookout. Shout out. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Good deal. Um, let's, let's get a little, um, lighter question here. What fun outside of arc, all of the companies that, uh, were associated with, cause there's all an entire hospitality side, um, of all the companies, uh, that our owner has what fun outside of the companies do we own uh, downtown restaurants and different things? Oh my gosh, we have a ton. My favorites revive. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and any kind of food, I'm there. But Kim, do you know like specifically how many we have? Um, well, you know, when we started off, Jamie, we started off way back in the day with um, Good Life Cafe. Um, you know, back there when it was in, in West Columbia off Elite Park. And, and obviously now it's on 1600 block of Main Street. So mm -hmm. that's for um, vegan raw people that eat vegan raw lots of juicing um have a new coffee shots. bar yep yeah they've got a new coffee bar um they actually started uh the last few times i was in there having grab and goes um like overnight mm -hmm. oats and cupcakes that you could buy um that are gluten-free vegan-free um all those fun things and then obviously the i think the next addition to our family was Michael's at when it was Michael's that has yeah. now become um, the main course, the main course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've got the grand, obviously with the bowling alley um, in the back where you can rent bowling lanes, mm -hmm. uh, the players club for those who love to swing a golf club. And that's in the main uh, course. Yeah. Now the main course. Yeah. Um, we've got immersion. Mm -hmm. which I have only been to once, Jamie. It's also in the main course. On yep. that. Um, yep. And that's more of the arts. Yeah, it's an immersion art gallery. You put yourself in the art. Um, it's a great, great, uh, great time. It's fun. It's, you can go. It's, it's probably about seven or eight different exhibits, and it's really, really neat. Um, you should check that out. Um, and something new at the main course is the, also called the main stage. Um, they've installed um, a state-of-the-art sound system, and concerts have already started um, at the main stage there at the main course, and then also at the 1626 room. Um, they have a smaller venue where they have concerts as well. So yeah, lots lots of stuff going on downtown. Soon to be smoked as well, which will be a um, oyster um, slash barbecue restaurant. It will have a speakeasy in it as well with some uh, live music. Um, and then also a microbrewery. It's just so much stuff going on in the 1600 block, um, downtown. And, uh, there's so much to do. So if you're a provider, you live, uh, you want to go to Columbia, have a good time. It's a great time to get away on your seven days off. Just real quick, we have shops on Main too. That's right. Don't forget the shops. And yep. if you actually go on the website, you can order pay in advance, and they'll have it nice and wrapped up for you to pick it up. There you go. I'm, I'm guilty of doing that as well. No excuse if you're a provider to have fun. Exactly. And God forbid you drink too much or you just feel awful, go get an IV at Revive. It's That's awesome. right. <laughs> yep. Or if you're just feeling lethargic, go get an IV. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, if, and then after that jamie if you're feeling nice and healthy you know you could always run across the street and go get a workout at at the at the gym yep. right there on four seven fitness well. yep mm -hmm. absolutely well let's jump back into some more healthcare stuff let's talk about remote patient monitoring and then also the livy why should a provider recommend or do a referral to either of these systems well i personally have had experience with the RPM. Um, and you know, I've been here about 14 years, Jamie, and mm -hmm. didn't even know all of the things that RPM could do until, um, we used it at my house. Um, but once it's registered to you, um, and it's all set up whenever you take, um, a weight, a pulse, a, a blood pressure, you can actually have it where those vitals, will come to whoever um, you want to be assigned, but you can receive a text message. It'll say like your family member's name. My dad's name is Wayne. It would say Wayne's blood pressure is, and it would give me the reading sure. or it would say Wayne's blood pressure is up 
from his last reading or down from his last reading. Um, if you've got a patient that's got congestive heart failure and um, that person weighs every day, it would notify the family that um, the weight is up. You know, obviously mm -hmm. a, a three or four pound um, weight gain overnight is going to be some fluid retention for that congestive heart failure patient. So I guess what I'm saying is I know we talk about we have um, the nurse that monitors the RPM. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to make sure that the providers hear me understand is if there's 500 RPMs out there, we don't just have one or two nurses monitoring 500 RPMs. Right. Those alerts can also be set up to go directly to the family member via text message. Mm -hmm. So what that provider needs to do is make sure that they educate the family on what they want those parameters to be also. Sure. So if they say, hey, Jamie, if your mom gains four pounds overnight, I want you to call the telehealth center and I want to make sure that you call and, 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 and talk to a scheduler or get through to somebody at, at telehealth that can possibly do a visit, um, telehealth, because they we may be able to increase some fluid retention medication until our provider can get back out there sure. um, for their physical assessment. Or if your blood pressure is below this or above that. So what I want the providers to understand is this is a fantastic opportunity for disease management and education mm -hmm. of the patient's disease process and getting the family involved. Um, but that does put a little bit of ownership on, on the, the wife, the mother, the sister, the brother, um, to be part of that patient's care, um, to be the advocate for their family member, and then know that they have us to call when um, those alert registers register, you know, or those alert messages are sent to their, their cell phones. Absolutely. Yep. And we've, we've even seen, heard stories of it literally saving somebody's life because they were having a heart attack, um, got to the person of the hospital and it literally saved their life. So remote patient monitoring is huge. Um, it's, it's such a great thing. Yeah. And for the provider's end, uh, I did get some kickback that they, since when you initially set it up, it's only like $16 for you to go out there. So they, a lot of them, a lot of the providers were, uh, just kind of hesitant to do so. Uh, they didn't see how it'd be beneficial for them, but I will tell you guys that that is out. So you don't have to set it up anymore. David Tichy actually went through vital care and they send it directly to the patient's house now. Nice. They set it up. It has instructions. It also comes with a fancy uh, iPad. <laughs> nice. So they have a tablet, and they can actually utilize that to call you, the provider, to have a telehealth. So, you know, I mean, it's beneficial all around to not only our providers and our patients, but, I mean, it's for our families as well. It's great. So uh, you do have the option to do the referral. It goes right to their house from Vital Care. They're working on uh, how we would mail it back right now. So that's in the works. Um, but telehealth is available through that as well. The Livies are actually something that I just recently found out about, but they are the medication dispensary and they uh, do a couple more cool things that Brody would be able to elaborate on, but it comes from our pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And if they use uh, our pharmacy, South Carolina House Calls Farm Pharmacy, they actually uh, get it for free and they the canisters are built right in for pill dispensing. And if they don't use our pharmacy uh they can actually still utilize the livy it just won't fit the uh canister um because they actually are custom made for us so it's kind of a give and take but they sure. still are great yeah to use. and <laughs> we we just released a story this week on on social media um, of a patient who was went to the hospital three times in 90 days because of medication adherence, they would either forget to take their medication or they would take too much, too much medication um, because they thought they had already taken it uh, or didn't take it, but they had. Um, this person, like I said, went to the hospital back and forth. They were a frequent flyer. Since they've had the Livy and they also have the RPM, 
since they've had those devices in their home, this person hasn't been to the hospital in over a year and is doing phenomenal. So, well, and, and here's the other thing that I want to say out there, Jamie, is as a South Carolina house calls nurse practitioner, if you are filling patients' medications, pill planners, while you're out there for visits, you need to order the Livy machine. Yes. Um, I didn't realize that some of our nurse practitioners do that. And so I really want um, MPs to hear that this is as much of a give and a take on our end as it is yours. As I've been working with providers on schedules, they would say to me, well, this person's house is 30 minutes out of the way and this person's house is 30 more minutes away. So just these three houses are going to cost me two hours in drive time. So my answer was, well, could you convert one or two of those visits to telehealth. You know, if you are just going over some new medication, following up on labs, is it a visit we could convert to telehealth? And when their answer to me was, well, I can't do that because I have to fill their prescription bottles while I'm out there today, <laughs> then that is a you problem because SC House Calls has the Livy machine. Yes. Um, and it oh, holds, no. I believe, a. Uh, um, I believe it can hold a 90-day supply. Yep, and 15 the medications. And the reason it's specific for us is because different manufacturers that produce different medications, um, some manufacturers may produce a round blood pressure medication, and SE House Calls buys it through a manufacturer that does a um, oval shaped blood pressure medication. Mm -hmm. So the inner workings of that levy machine correspond to the manufacturers that we buy from. So that's why it's going to have a, a more higher success rate um, of those medications appropriately dropping is buying them from us is because we set those machines based off of the size of the medications that we buy from manufacturers. Yeah. Whereas if you use CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, and tried to put those same medications in, into the levy machine, mm -hmm. um, then we cannot guarantee that you might not get two of those or they may not come out at all because of different pill shape sizes and forms. So, um, but also hear me say, you cannot complain about drive time to anybody operationally if you have access to a levy machine and are not using it. Yeah. Because then you're choosing to have the two-hour drive time because you would not need to refill medications if patients had the levy machine. Yep. And another thing the levy machine does as well, it also, just like RPM, it sends information for a caregiver, it will send them a, a email or a text message um, and let them know that, hey, this person did not take their medication. It also notifies the pharmacist as well so that they can reach out to them and say, hey, you forgot your medication. So it really yeah. is just a fail safe and it keeps people adherent to their medication. Yeah, and that's huge now that we have our pharmacy. So mm -hmm. Miranda and the pharmacists are checking that. So they, yep. they can give up the patient a call and be like, hey, what's up? Why didn't you take this? Yep. So we're going to close this out here. we got a few few more questions, and these we're going to kind of go quick fire here. If a provider has Athena questions, who do they contact? Ooh, that's good. Uh, Natalie or Kim or... Serena, I'm going to say, but off the bat, you should be able to ask your CSE. And if they don't know, then your Athena gurus would know. And those are the people to contact. Cool. What about Mobius training? Donna Anderson. She does all the Mobius training. Uh, if you're not hooked up already, please reach out to her, shoot her an email or go on teams and she will get you set up for training and how to use it properly. So here's a two part question. Who does the schedules? And then what does the call center do? So um, the schedules are created by the schedulers. Jamie, we have an intake team now, and um, each person on the intake team, I believe, has two regions. They're going to run two tracks. So the intake team makes the initial contact with the family after they receive the referral. Their goal is to set up telehealth visits, physical visits, um, pharmacy consult visits, et cetera. From that point, once those visits are scheduled, then 
it is sent on to the next level so that it can be have ticklers put in and the patient can continue to be tracked and set up for appointments. Um, the telehealth center is, um, it's at Center Street and those are nurse, you know, nurse practitioners there that are doing nothing but telehealth. Right. So it could be that somebody's calling in with an emergency. It could be a scheduled follow-up. It could be a brand new patient visit. Um, it could be psych. Psych is, psych is housed out of telehealth. Um, our phys- we have physicians, Dr. Spate and Dr. Cato, um, which is also related to palliative, um, are, are all telehealth. So, so we kind of have two divisions. We have what's, you know, kind of like the telehealth center, you know, where, where we, and then where they have specific visits and then we have telehealth providers and then we have providers in the community. Sure. Great. Um, last question here. Why is it so important to stick to the 48 hour chart close rate? Oh my gosh, y'all. <laughs> You better do this or I'm coming for you. I'm just kidding. Uh, It is so important, though, uh, because on the coder's end, I'm going to tell you right now. So the whole marking it green, and if you don't know how to do that or haven't heard my spiel, uh, you don't have to pre-code. After you sign off your encounter, you hit the billing tab, scroll all the way down at the bottom left-hand corner, and click provider reviewed and hit save. That marks it green. So on the coder's end, the green ones are going to be billed out first. Those take priority. So after you've completed one, your documentation should be in, and it should be closed within that 48-hour time rate because it's fresh on your mind, and Mm -hmm. you're not going to forget anything. And two, if you do have to make an amendment, uh, you can do it uh, quickly and not rather than waiting till end of the month or a little later. Mm -hmm. uh, You can remember if you spend that time or... Yes, I know. <laughs> if you spend that time where you have to change a diagnosis or it's still fresh on your brain and we also want to get it out in a timely manner because these insurances have stipulation times. If they don't meet that, if we wait forever and we don't bill it out, you might not get credit. You might, you might not get reimbursed because we missed that window of opportunity. Sure. And it also backlogs our coders. Our coders don't just have one provider. They have a ton. So... Mm-hmm. They're trying to get as much as they can while they're reviewing uh, thoroughly and properly and and trying to push all of this information out so you Mm -hmm. guys can get credit and we all get paid. But if we if we have to wait till the end of the month and then everybody waits to sign off until then, can you imagine if everybody did it on time? I mean, well, and not and, and here's here's the here's a couple big numbers, Jamie. Um, when you say what is the impact of not closing them out, mm-hmm. um, the first thing that comes to me is um, two words. The number two and the next word million. Mm. So, you know, as you can see um, every day when you look at Taylor's report, you can see how many visits we are making in a day, sure. right? So we're getting closer to the 2,000 visits a day mark. Right. Or that, you know, that that's the next the next big accomplishment based off of um, level of care with our patients. So here's what I want you to understand. So at 2,000 visits a day, if every provider didn't close their visits out within 48 hours and just were four or five days behind, that is 10,000 encounters wow. that can get backed up in a matter of four to five days. Mm-hmm. Now, guess who has to push those... 10,000 encounters through Casey's team. Yeah. So it's not really fair that these billers and coders have to be up all hours of the night pushing claims through because providers don't close out their notes because there's a, I mean, like, let's just say, um, Jamie, you were a nurse practitioner and you treated this business like it was your own. Mm. Would you just wait and bill whenever you felt like it and close your nose out whenever you felt like Mm. it? Because then you would have no revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. So every provider gets the paycheck. Providers get bonuses. Providers have cars to drive. Providers have gas. Providers have insurance um, that they want for their families. They have liability insurance that we pay for. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the month, them not doing their role 
in closing their notes out not only puts more pressure on Casey's team, but it literally can hold up $2 million in cash flow. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which we have to have in order to make payroll. Yes. So it's, it's when you're billing 2000 claims a day and they don't push them out within 48 hours, just within 48 hours, we can get over 5,000 claims behind, um, which is a million dollars. So it's very important for cash flow. If it was their business, they would bill it. Mm -hmm. They all want paychecks and not to mention, you know, they get a penalty towards their bonus if they don't close them out in 48 hours. And the reason that is, is because it holds up our cash. Sure. Absolutely. Guys. Well, I'll tell you on my, what we're seeing real quick is if you wait to close out your notes, especially till months end, and we have, you have more than one service on an encounter. So let's say if you did a non-face-to-face ACP and the visit, or even a prolonged service, whatever, if one of those numbers are off for time, or you don't have proper documentation on a specific service, that whole claim gets caught, it won't get billed out because you haven't gone and amended it by the time month's end is over. So it, the faster that you complete your documentation, the better you sign off, you mark green, because if you do have to make an amendment, you have the opportunity to do the, that and you get credit for it. Because soon we're just going to start leaving them off so you can at least get credit for something. You can sure. at least get credit for the visit, but you're going to miss what the non-face-to-face is at least $106. So you're going to miss that. So, you know, it's 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 silly not to. Yeah, it's important. Absolutely. Guys, thanks so much for answering these questions. Um, and we're actually going to do more of these. We're actually getting ready to, to do a uh, Mythbusters hospice and palliative care version of this. And so that's coming up here uh, uh, possibly next week. So, guys, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate you answering these questions. Of course. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Just a couple of announcements. Every single month, on the first Monday of the month, we have an event called the Community Leadership Assembly. You are invited, especially if you're an assisted living administrator or skilled facility administrator and a social worker. You can earn up to three CEU credits. At this event, you'll hear from a couple different speakers, and we're going to provide lunch for only $10. You don't want to miss it, so make sure you come to 1626 on Main in Columbia, South Carolina. You won't Also, if you'd be so kind to write a review for the LTC University podcast, give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We'd love for you to check us out on social media. You can go find us at LTC University on much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to learn together. Have a great day.